Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fartzell. Right out front. Younger fit inside of the net. now in happy monday to you and we get ready for game number one stanley cup semi-finals fortress t-mobile arena it's all going down six o'clock tonight if you got a ticket oh yeah you're a lucky one enjoy the festivities tonight if not uh, get to watch it on television nbc sports network will have the coverage there six o'clock face off i'll be there VGK Frank will be there. We'll hype it up for you, and we'll talk about it as the Montreal Canadiens come to town. Game one tonight, VGK in Montreal. Still cannot get used to this, though. All right. The semifinals that we're, we're dealing with a Canadian team coming here in the semifinals, and we know everything is, is backwards, but it's, it's still weird. It just has that strange feeling for two reasons. One is because we're having a, a Canadian team, an Eastern Conference team, here for the semifinals. But then no one in that div- division, that Canadian division, was good enough really to be in the postseason. So, well, I mean, got to look at Edmonton like and Toronto had two very good regular seasons. But once again, when playoff time comes, they don't, don't play physical enough. They don't have the, the goaltending that gets it done. And they basically bow out after the first round. Uh, Winnipeg, I thought, had a decent team, but Shifley got the big suspension for four games. Uh, Stasny was injured for a good part of the series. That's two of their top three centers on the team that are out. That's a big blow to any team out there. Connor Hellebuck is a quality goaltender, but he couldn't do it by himself. And for the Canadians, although they didn't have a very good regular season, I think Vegas had 23 more points than them in the regular season. They were the lowest seed of any team going to the playoffs this year. They had fewer points and fewer wins than anybody else, but that's why they call the playoffs the second season. Carey Price is caught in fire, and they haven't trailed in a game for quite some time now. So, you know, they're playing pretty well. Uh, I don't think they're playing well enough. I still think they're only going to the semifinal round because of the fact that somebody from Canada had to be there. Could Carey Price steal a game? He absolutely could. Can he steal four of them? That's a lot to ask for because the guy at the other end, Marc-Andre Fleury, certainly isn't a slouch. Everybody says Carey Price is the best goalie in the NHL. Players say it all the time. If he had one goalie for one game, who would it be, Carey Price? That was probably true four or five years ago. I'm not sure that it actually does hold true anymore. We'll find out. They're playing well. They just swept Winnipeg. Price, I think, has given up, what, 12 goals in the last uh, nine games or whatever? I mean, he's been absolutely on fire. 11 games. He's given up 12 goals. And, you know, when you look at Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price, they're, they're two of the same. They're both grizzly veterans. They've been around a long time, both very, very successful and you know Price's record is eight and three in those eleven games in in the postseason. Three hundred fifteen saves. 
and has actually faced more shots and has more saves than Marc-Andre Fleury. So, yeah, you can make the case. I don't know. You know, we start getting to this, okay, who's the best goaltender? And we've, we've talked a little bit about that with the Vezina and this and that. I mean, bottom line is Montreal, not only can they win a game, they can win several games. Could they win the series? I, hey, at this point in time, you just never know because, as you know, you can ride a hot goalie is through an entire season, through an entire postseason. You, you can do that. And if Montreal has any shot, it's going to start, I think, with, with Carey Price and end with him. I mean, if he's on fire and he can stop the attack of the Golden Knights, it would not surprise me if we have ourselves a series. It's funny because, you know, from a betting perspective, it's, it's very long odds. The Golden Knights a 260 favorite in Game 1 tonight. The series opened back on Friday at uh, at minus four fifty. It's now got bet up to minus five oh five. So yeah, I knew it the, was minus five hundred. Yeah. So. so all of all of the money is, is is pouring in here, and I think a lot of people are thinking, yeah, foregone conclusion that the Golden Knights are, are going to roll with this thing. But you know, when we really break it down, we're going to do a lot of uh, of breaking this uh, series down, especially Game One tonight. When a team is rested and they're focused and they're riding a hot hot goalie. I think, hey, you know, don't be surprised if Montreal comes in and plays exceptionally well tonight and maybe even wins game one. It's possible, and maybe that's why that number is only 260 when the series price is around $5, because I think the, the odds makers do think that they maybe have a shot, although 260 is still a no, pretty that's good— steep. I yeah. mean, yeah. No, it, it's steep, but not for what you would think over—I I know I read someplace and heard that this is the biggest— discrepancy as far as a money line bet goes on a series ever at this point of the playoffs in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, I mean, Vegas is a huge favorite, and there's a lot of reasons for it. The one thing, and we say it all the time, and it certainly wasn't necessarily the case in the Colorado series, you know, the first goal is important. Montreal hasn't trailed in a game in, like, the last five or six games. That I think they have the second longest streak in the history of playoff hockey right now, and, of course, it's still an active streak because they haven't trailed a game. So, obviously, they're very, very good front runners. They're kind of built that way. You know, if Nick Suzuki or Armia or one of the other players for them can get a goal, they can be tough to catch. As a matter of fact, they haven't been caught. Winnipeg couldn't do it to them. So, but... Can they get the first goal against Vegas? Because although Connor Hellebuck is a good goaltender in Winnipeg, I think Marc-Andre Fleury is also playing at that next level right now. He's been absolutely sensational. Vegas isn't going to freak out if Montreal gets the first goal. If Montreal does get the first goal, look for them to really go into a defensive type of a game and basically say, okay, can you beat Carey Price now? Like you mentioned, Price has faced more shots than Marc-Andre Fleury. But I'm not sure about the quality of shots that he's faced necessarily. His team has kind of sat back. They get in that little zone in front of the ice, and they go, let's see if you can beat them. And it hasn't happened yet. But I'm not sure, even though Toronto's a good team, I'm not sure that they faced the firepower. Or Actually, was it Edmonton that they faced in the first round? Yeah. But um, yeah, it was. Yeah, well, no, no, it was it was Toronto. It was Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're Toronto, then they beat Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah, and so they closed the season with a couple games against Edmonton. So yeah. you might be thinking so, about that. But I mean, and again, those teams have offensive firepower, but not in the playoffs. It seems like they wilt every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carey Price is is playing very well right now, and he might be looking at this as you know what, this might be my best shot again to win a Stanley Cup. They have some young talent. To me, it looks like maybe Montreal is a little bit ahead of their schedule, kind of like we said about Minnesota in the first round that they were ahead of their schedule. But I don't know that you would say that after the regular season. Again, they were the fourth seed. Somebody else had to go to the playoffs. They've caught fire at a good time. And like I said, they're very good front runners. 
I'm curious to see what happens when they trail in a game because I can't believe they're going to get out to the first goal and just ride that to victory every game against the Vegas Golden Knights, as deep as they are, as talented as they are, and the way Marc-Andre Fleury is playing. You know, that was a seven-game series that Montreal went through with, with Toronto, uh, barely you know, squeaking by in that series, a lot of very close games. And then, you know, Winnipeg, they, they sweep them, you know, 4 nothing here. So, and again, a lot of that, like you said, is the Shifley injury. Or does that well, mean— Well, the suspension. I mean, the suspension, I should say. Yeah, correct. Um, or does that mean that, uh, that Montreal just—they figured it out and, and they're on a roll right now? Because it, even with the Shifley suspension, I mean, to come in there, and they just didn't win that series. It seemed like they dominated. They dominated. They, 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 they owned them. It, thoroughly it, dominated. It, it almost looked like Winnipeg, once Shifley got yeah. suspended, like they gave up, yeah. which I didn't understand. You're still playing the last team to get in the playoffs this year. Montreal was far from a juggernaut. Yeah, they have Carey Price, and they have some nice young pieces, but... I mean, they're not a team that you look at and you look at their roster and you go, oh, we can't beat these guys. You know, there's a reason that they were the longest shot to win the Stanley Cup, I think, when the playoffs started. You know, in that series against Toronto, too, they lost three games in a row. I believe it was like games two, three, and four. Yeah, and they've been on a roll ever since then. Yeah, so they've been on a a nice little Yeah, so they've won basically seven in a row. Right, exactly. Yeah, so. No, I mean, they're they're playing very well, and Carey Price Price is a quality goaltender. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake about it. And could, like I say, could he steal a game or two? He absolutely can. Yeah. I think at this point in time, and anybody who watches the NHL on a regular basis will tell you that you, you cannot just pencil somebody into the next round. You just can't do it, especially at this level with a team that has a very good, I'd say a great goaltender and has won seven games in a row and they're rested. As well, too. They don't have fatigue. They don't have to worry about playing, you know, uh, Jake Allen, their backup goalie. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And, and Jake Allen's you know? not the worst backup goalie no. in the world, either. Yeah. But my point is... No, no, yeah. Know, no, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm like, a, 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 heaven forbid, if something happens to Carey Price, their odds go up even more. Yeah. But Allen's been decent, but there's a reason he's a backup. Yeah. So a lot of fans, especially this season, are not going to probably know too much about the Canadians because you, you faced... Just, you know, this quirky schedule where you're just playing the same teams over and over and over again. And, you know, now with, with Montreal coming to town, we remember when Montreal would, would, would come here, you know, maybe once or twice a season, and they would bring those Habs fans, and they yeah, were crazy. I think crazy. it's only been once a year because yeah. of the, where they planned that. I think right. this, they've only been to the team over three times. I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, last year, of course, with the bubble in it, they weren't here. This right. year, they weren't here. So. But we know how well those fans travel. You know, again, that uh, even though they're, you know, 3,500 miles away or whatever that crazy number is. But there are a lot of, of transplanted fans that, you know, again, you know, when you're talking about the Canadians, I mean, you're, you're talking about the Green Bay Packers, you're talking about the New York Yankees, that's, that's the, the love and lore that you have with this type of franchise. So it will well, be interesting you're... to see how many of those fans are actually going to be there tonight or actually can get tickets. Now, if they are going to show up tonight, they have paid a very pretty penny you know, and there's people that live in L.A. or Vegas or surrounding areas that will make the trip here. But how many Canadian fans will actually be in the building? That's, that's, that's something I'm looking forward to seeing, too. I'm not sure. And, and if they are, I don't know how many will be from Montreal because I know they still have right. a lot of travel that's restrictions there. Yeah. Yeah. The team still has to fly charter. From what I understand, even the media that are coming to town to cover them, they have to stay quarantined in their hotel rooms. They can't, they're coming to Vegas and can't go out of their hotel rooms. So there's still a lot of things. I'm not sure that an average fan can even make that trip. 
So it might be somebody else. But remember this, too. Montreal is not only playing for Montreal now. They're playing for all of Canada because Canada has a tendency to, when their home team gets knocked out, they root for everybody else that's Canadian. Yep. And then if all the Canadian teams are knocked out, they start rooting for the teams with the most Canadian players on them because that's how much they love hockey up there. The one exception to that sometimes is the Canadians. As much as they're loved in Montreal, like I know in Quebec, they do not like the Montreal Canadians. Canadians, I said. Yeah. Canadians. But um. But so you know, it is interesting. I'm curious to see how that breakdown is going to be too. Because even in the Colorado series, when Grubauer made some saves, and obviously he didn't make enough of them for the Avalanche fans, but we heard Grubauer. Yes. You yeah. could hear that in the crowd. I'm not sure what the crowd is going to be like, and Montreal fans aren't afraid to travel. I just don't know if they're allowed to. Yeah, and the thing about it is, in order for these fans to show up, and again, I'm I'm not thinking they're coming across the border. I'm just thinking that the ones that are down here in the it, states it, or something it, it, that are exactly, come, yeah, exactly that have the jerseys are going to show up and and, and and come. But it's not going to be like a regular season game where you know well in advance. And again, like in the past, you can travel over the border and you plan your vacations and all that sort of thing. So you got that working against you. But you've got the fact that you know you've got basically 18,000 season ticket holders in order for them to, uh, Canadian fans, to get those tickets, they're going to have to sell them. They're going to have to sell them on the secondary market, which, you know, these guys take the vow that they're not supposed to do and they don't do. But, again, it won't be like a regular season game. It won't be like a regular season game from, like, three or four years ago when the franchise was still new. Now you're at the point where this is truly home ice advantage, just not in theory you know, sleeping in your own bed, but these fans are rabid and more and more fans are not giving up their tickets and they're more entrenched in this organization, in this franchise, in this team, and especially the way they're playing this year. So I would expect to see very little, you know, Canadian uh, sweaters and jerseys and fans, but just because of the rich tradition and it is a playoff game, I'm thinking maybe a little bit more than, than Colorado. But it'll be interesting to see that that fraction. And th- and there were some Colorado fans there. there I was were. actually surprised that there were little airism in that. But it, it, I, I have a feeling that you might see more of the Canadian sweaters at Beer House and at the park and at the other places around there. Because, like you say, maybe they won't be able to get in there. I'm not sure you're going to see them out there watching the big screen out in Toshiba Plaza. Because the majority of those people are going to be Vegas Golden Knights fans. And they m- might not feel comfortable out there. But um, there's definitely going to be some Montreal fans out there, but um, I, I, I just don't. And, and I'm not saying that they have no shot whatsoever. I'm saying there's a reason they're the biggest dog in the history of the NHL at this point. I think it would be absolutely shocking if Vegas did not win this series. No, they're going to be. Uh, they are a favorite, a substantial favorite. But let's remember, too, if this was any other team outside of the Vegas Golden Knights, it would not be they would not be that heavy a favorite because Colorado would be a big favorite against them. Either they, one of these teams but, was, a good, but, was gonna be a big right, favorite. But not this kind of number because remember, who makes the numbers? Okay? The bookmakers oh, make yeah. it and they are trying to protect themselves against that future money. And there's a lot of future money on the Golden Knights that was laid a long time ago, the beginning of the season, to win the Stanley Cup. So that's why you're seeing that because they're trying to hedge their bets off a little bit. So if it was Colorado, I can guarantee you this series price would be probably about minus two fifty or three hundred. It would I would think at least three hundred, yeah, yeah. but you know you would but think, maybe okay? not five hundred, yeah, but yeah. It, you yeah. There, there's no way. I mean, I'd say no way in the world you're even saying, 
saying 400 if if it was anybody but the Golden Knights because, again, the bookmakers are trying to protect themselves. And then the other part is they know they're going to get individual game money on the Golden Knights. That's why it's 260. Anywhere else, it would not be 260. There's no way in the world. But people are going to bet with their hearts. Plain and simple. And as we know, anything can ha- happen in hockey. I'm really not, I'm not trying to make a case to bet the underdog here, but I'm saying if, if you like Montreal and you're thinking you could have a game one situation like you had in the last round with the Avalanche and coming in there and possibly stealing a the game, there is tremendous value there because this team is well-rested. They've got a great goaltender, and uh, they're going to be ready to play. They're going to be focused, and th- they don't have many injuries. Well, I, I think they're definitely going to be focused. They do have a few injuries uh, for Vegas fans out here because Nick Suzuki, one of the most exciting young players they have, and, of course, uh, part of that original Vegas Golden Knights team, never played for the Golden Knights in an NHL game, but he went up to Montreal, of course, is part of the deal that brought Max Pacioretty down here. He's been outstanding for them this season, but Thomas Sitar is not playing for the Canadians right now. He's had some decent seasons up there. didn't work out here. And also John Merrill, the defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights, he has an undisclosed injury right now as well, so don't expect to see him playing. So although they're, they're, they're not banged up and they don't have a ton of injuries there, a couple faces that would be familiar to Golden Knights fans unfortunately won't be in the lineup for the Canadians. Yeah. And you go back to that trade that happened in September of 2018 where Max Pacioretty came here in, you know, for the guys that you talked about you know, with Tatar, and, uh, and, and Suzuki, Suzuki was the big right, piece. Right. Suzuki was the piece that they right. wanted. That was yeah. that was the future that they looked yeah. at. But you know, there's you know, just to recap that that move. I mean, you know, Pacioretty was the guy that was there for ten years. I mean, talk about face of the franchise. I mean, basically like a Mark Andre Fleury, you know, in Pittsburgh. A Mark Andre Fleury now here in Vegas. Pacioretty was that to the Canadians. I know that you've talked a lot about. Hey, what kind of reception is he going to get once the series moves back? You know, to Montreal. Well, we don't know how many fans. You know, is it going to be capped at, at twenty five hundred? Is it going to be five thousand? But neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, they are going to, uh, you know, welcome him in, no doubt about it. But still, it, it's got to be a little bit different for him as well, too, because usually during the course of a regular season, a player gets to face his former team, and we haven't seen that. So that, that a lot of emotions will be going through Pacioretty's yeah. mind. And he has well, faced him, just not in a playoff scenario right. type of place. So, right. Right. so he has been up there. This won't be his first time back facing the Canadians in Montreal. Right. But, yeah, and even that. And, and remember when he first came here, the first thing Max Pacioretty said when he came to the Vegas Golden Knights was, I can take out my brain now and just play hockey again. I don't have to be the captain. Because he said he would go in grocery stores and people would be like, you're getting 35 goals and winning the cup this year, right? And the, the pressure up there is so high from the media, from the fan base, the expectations. They expect to win the cup every year. Kind of like UNLV basketball fans think that it's still the Tarkanian days. Those are long gone. The Montreal Canadiens haven't been that good in a while. They were the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. That was 1993. Exactly. It's been a while. But their fans still expect them to yeah. win all the time. And you could see Pacioretty was kind of like, as, as much as he loved it there and he revered and he was proud of being the captain of the Canadians, he was also kind of happy to get that away. When there was talk of who's going to be the first captain here in Vegas and Pacioretty's name was through, thrown in there all the time, I know we talked about it and it was like, he doesn't want the job. Yeah, he'll put an A on. He'll be one of the assistants, and he's going to be one of your leaders. He did that in Montreal. The first thing he said was, basically, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. I can just play hockey. Wow. 
All right. Uh, looking forward to game number one tonight. You know, we talked a lot about uh, Alex Petrangelo and what a great series he had. Not really lighting up the lamp until that last game, but just, uh, you know, for, from a defensive standpoint and everything else. But who's going to be that guy for this series? Because we saw Marcia so the way he played and, you know, with all those goals that we saw, especially, you know, throughout the, the first, you know, four games, who is going to be that guy for the Golden Knights? Because as Peter DeBoer said, you know, Petrangelo is kind of an unsung guy. I mean, he was that guy that really was probably the MVP of the first round and the second round series. So it'll be interesting to see who is it going to be? Who, who's the person that is going to step up for the Golden Knights here in the semifinal round? For the Golden Knights? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they, they all step up. The, the second line has still been sensational. And I, I think they're going to continue. They have that golden misfit uh, mentality again. They don't have to face the top line of the other team, and they've really flourished in that role. Uh, Max Pacioretty, we mentioned, he didn't necessarily perform well for the Canadians in the playoffs when he was there, but he's performed excellently for Vegas. This year he's got three game-winning goals, for crying out loud. I think he's going to step up. I think the second line is going to be huge. But uh, and, and Petrangelo was good. I, I think everybody in their own way has to step up for Vegas. But I think the key, once again, is going to be Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah. If Marc-Andre Fleury plays like he's been playing and makes it difficult for Montreal to score goals and get that lead that they are so good at holding in games, it's going to be very difficult for him. And I don't see any reason why Marc-Andre Fleury is not going to play well. Like I said, Montreal's got some talent. But they're not as deep as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not as talented as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not as good as the Vegas no, Golden Knights. They, they don't have as much offensive firepower. I mean, if Montreal's going to win games going back, it's going to be a, a defensive battle. Yeah, they're and, looking for a two-to-one yeah. game. or, a, or a, They want it close to the vest. They don't want to get right. in a shootout. Right. So uh, contrasting styles here. Vegas is going to try to push the pace. They're going to try to definitely get up and down and, and, and do what they do. And but it would not surprise me if we have some low scoring hockey games, especially maybe in game one tonight. Would not surprise me if we see a, a low scoring game. So uh, again, different, much different. The feel. It's a semifinal. It's and you have the Montreal Canadiens that are coming here for games one and two tonight and um, Wednesday night. Then the series will shift to Montreal for games th- uh, for three and four. So looking forward to this tonight, but it is going to be a little bit of a different feel. And for Montreal Canadiens, they have not played a game in the United States all year. Does that factor in? Everything that they, they've played has been in their own country without fans for the most part. Totally different. Totally different look for them. Totally different feel for them. Totally different feel for people that will be back in the Golden Knights of the Fortress tonight. Yeah, I don't know if it is, if it matters that it's in the United States. It's just outside of Canada, like you mentioned. I but think it's it ma- different. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Six months, right? No, I mean, no, and, and yeah. that's what I was going to say. What I was going to say is what I think matters more is that it's in the Pacific time zone, in front of 18,000 rabid fans of the Vegas Golden Knights that they haven't seen for quite a while. They didn't see last year. They haven't seen this year. Uh, some of these younger players in that because it's not the same team that even was here before. So there are definitely going to be differences there. And they're coming in as a huge underdog. Now, they were an underdog in their first two series as well. You know, maybe in the Winnipeg series you got to re-question that since they swept it. But, I mean, no, I mean, I think the moment's going to be a little bit big for them. But I know you've also mentioned a couple of times how Montreal's rested. Vegas is also rested. Just because the way the NHL set it up after winning that last game, they got a three-day rest. They're not as rested as Montreal. Oh, yeah, Montreal's been off a week. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like we said, too, Vegas didn't have to travel. 
There's no way that what happened in game one against Colorado, there's no way that that should happen tonight to Vegas. And if it does, the reason isn't because they just came off a tough series. They came off a series where they won four games in a row. They outplayed them the last five games in a row. Vegas should come out on fire, ready to go tonight. It's not going to be fatigue or anything else. If they don't come out ready to play, it's on them. It's not fatigue at all. all right. Expect a physical hockey series as well, too. Maybe a little bit like we saw with Minnesota in that opening round as well, too. So Montreal and the Golden Knights tonight at 6 o'clock. All right, uh, we've got some breaking news. And a uh, very familiar name. Golden Knights are very familiar with. In the news here today, Gerard Gallant now may named the head coach of the New York Rangers. We knew that Gallant would be a... He, he would surface at some point in time. And a lot of people thought he might be named the head coach of the expansion team, the Seattle Kraken, but uh, he is back, and the Rangers taking a shot on, on Turk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good hire for them. I think he's a player's coach. Uh, he's certainly got some talent there with Shesterkin, uh between the pipes, a good young talent in net. Uh, guys like Artemi Panarin and some of the other talent they have, uh, they were a team that were expected to be better this year, and I think that's one reason they made the change. Uh, a lot of people thought that he was just going to wait for the Cana- for the uh, I'm sorry, the Detroit job to open up because that's where everybody figured he was eventually going to go. Well. Then Detroit basically says that it looks like they're going to give Blasel a chance and keep him as the coach for a while. So I guess Turk finally decided to make a move. Uh, this or Seattle, I think this is a very good situation for him. Yeah. They already have talent there. They have the chance to win immediately. Maybe Seattle does or doesn't. We have no idea what their team is going to look like. We'll know after the expansion draft. And there's a lot of talk that Brindamore from Carolina, who I don't know why Carolina hasn't already re-signed this guy during the regular season, that he's going to be going to Seattle. I don't know why Carolina would let that happen, but they've made some major screw-ups in the past over some decisions. So I'm happy for Turk. And when he was here, I thought he was the consummate professional, always had a smile on his face, had a good, you know, said more stuff that was kind of funny in that out of the yeah. press conferences than that when you got a chance to yeah. talk to him one-on-one. I think he's just a class act. He's an old-time hockey player type of coach or whatever. Uh, I really like the guy, and I always wish him all the best in the world. Mm-hmm. I I'm not going to become a Ranger fan now, but when they win, I'll be happy for Turk. He gets back to the East Coast as well, too. Spent time with Washington. So, yeah, it's a good move. And I'm glad to see him back again because I think uh, a lot of us felt the same way. I mean, great guy, and you hate to see guys lose their jobs, uh, especially when you get a chance to know them a little bit. And uh, glad that he's back in the NHL after a couple seasons. All right, when we come back, we turn our attention to the NBA playoffs. Very controversial night last night. In Denver, between the Suns and the Nuggets, elimination game there, an ejection as well. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright's got plenty of thoughts on that. We'll touch base with him. Also, next hour, Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, who covers the Las Vegas Aces, UNLV, both basketball and football, as well as boxing. So a lot of stuff to talk about with Sam. Sam's a big NBA and college basketball guy, as we know as well. So a lot to hit on on the rest of the show here today. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on this Manic Monday. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. NBA playoffs heating up. Uh, Not just heating up for interest with competitive games, but controversy as well too we saw this last night with the phoenix denver game and we talk about a team 
you know, responding. I mean, look what happened here in these the first round with the Phoenix Suns. They have a battle with the Lakers. They were an underdog, even though they were the higher seed. They're number two seed, beat the seventh seeded Lakers. Then they come and they play the Denver Nuggets, who had a seven game series against the Portland Trailblazers. They went, you know, back and forth with each other. And I think a lot of us thought, okay, this is going to be. Uh, at least a six-game series. A fun series. Probably a seven-game series, yeah. I mean, you know, these two teams are going to get up and down, good matchups, seem to match up very well with each other. We didn't see any of that. We just saw destruction by the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul and company, Jay Crowder. I mean, these guys were on fire. And we talked last week about the turnover-to-assist ratio. And heading into that game number four, they had a 50 Three to four assist to turnover ratio. Just amazing what the Phoenix Suns, led by Chris Paul as their point guard, and, uh, and good for him. But the Phoenix Suns, they eliminate uh, Denver last night. They sweep them. They get their seventh straight postseason win. Kind of a lot like the Montreal Canadiens we're talking about. You go through that series with the Maple Leafs. You come and you sweep. You've won seven in a row. Phoenix Suns. Identical situation to that. And how much do you think beating the Lakers and LeBron, I don't care if AD was there or not, that that boosted their confidence in that and started really making them think, okay, we were the underdog, even though we're the two seed in that. Let's go out there and get it done. I think when you get big key victories like that, that, that that's a big part to you. Uh, and again, I know that we got Bill Cartwright uh, standing by and we're going to be speaking with him. And, you know, when the Bulls beat Detroit that first time, and then it's like, okay, we got by them. Now we're starting to roll. And then, of course, they win six championships. But that was the team they had to beat. I just wonder if beating the Lakers made Phoenix go to that next level and really made that belief in themselves that much stronger. Because like you said, I don't remember anybody predicting a sweep going into that yeah. series. And here's the thing. Even though they were the two seed, the Lakers were the seven, it had the feeling that the roles were reversed. Exactly. That the Lakers were the top seed. Yeah. And so it goes back to, and I use this analogy a lot, if you're a lower seeded team, like say you're playing the, you know, the one versus eight, and you're that eight, or you say you're a seven in the two, and you knock off that top dog, you basically become the top seed. That's the way you feel because you got rid of them. And, hey, if we could beat these guys, then we can go ahead and, and beat anybody. I think that is what the Phoenix Suns are thinking about right now. Hey, we knocked off the Lakers, knocked off LeBron James, knocked off the defending champions. Yeah, anybody else you put in front of us, we're ready. And they're playing with that confidence right now. So here he is, the big seven-footer, the five-time NBA champ, big Bill Cartwright. And I know that this Phoenix Suns team, I don't want to say it's kind of close to your heart because you did spend some time there as an assistant coach uh, there in the Valley of the Sun. And I know you love the area. I know you love playing golf and eating there as well, too. Uh, how surprised are you that the Suns swept the Nuggets? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, let's go back to that. I like eating anywhere. So it's just like you. So that, that does well account. But, yeah, Phoenix is a great city, uh, great sports town. And I enjoyed my four years there. And, you know, what's funny is that what we always talk about uh, is who, when we talk about matchups, but we talk about the team who's playing the best basketball at the end of the year. And, you know, the Suns are one of those teams that they're just, they're really hot right now. They're playing well. They're playing their style of basketball. They're moving the ball. They're making shots. They're not injured. So in that case scenario, uh, they're they're playing as well as anybody. All right, so let's go back to last night's game. 
The Nuggets came in here trailing three love. You almost got the feeling that this team was was pretty much done when their head coach, Michael Malone, came in and said, hey, man, this, I think our guys have quit. That was sad. I mean, that was, that was, a, that was a sad statement. But So we go to this game last night. Phoenix jumped out to the lead. Uh, the writing was pretty much on the wall. And even though you know Suns fans, I'm sorry, the Nugget fans were hoping that this team would rally on their home floor, we just really didn't get that. And then we come to the situation where the MVP Jokic was just so you know, distraught the way he was playing, the way the team was playing, that he decided you know he 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 wanted to try to stir things up a little bit. So uh, he gets called for this foul. Here's the audio. Here's how it took place in the second half of last night's game four. Denver just does not have the firepower. Jokic inside, off, rebound, collected by Bridges. Foul on Jokic, down goes Payne and across the face, and here we go. Cameron Payne is still down. And you've got the two superstars going jaw-to-jaw here in Jokic and Devin Booker. All right, so we see uh, Jokic uh, being ejected. Um, at that point in time, they called it a flagrant two. They huddled up. The referees looked at it. When we look at this replay over and over again, uh, not sure exactly you know, what, to, what, what to make of this. The referees came back, and they ushered in their decision. After replay review, Booker there is and CB3, wind CB3 up, impact, and follow through. It is a flagrant penalty, too, on Jokic. He's ejected from the game. All right, Jokic ejected. At that point in time, it was it for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they were done. A sweep ensued by the Phoenix Suns. Bill, I know when you watched this last night, uh, give, give me your thoughts about particularly this foul. Well, you know I'm upset by that. And it's, look, you know, you've, you've watched sports your entire life. you watched uh, basketball, baseball, football, boxing. When, when, when there's an intent to hit somebody, to hit somebody, to harm them, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious. You really, you, you, you don't have to say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I, I kind of think, I'm kind of suspicious. You know. You know, if somebody if somebody's taking a swing, lines up, hits somebody, uh, where they get the head, back, whatever, they're hitting them. You got a whole body there. When you have to go to replay and to be able to to look and see if somebody's going to get a hit, hits a hitting somebody, and then now, uh, you know, for what I saw, he hit the ball. Which should be fine. It should be just a common foul. They eject this guy from the playoff game. Uh, this this is this has gone beyond to where the official really dictates the game because the game's over. It's the third quarter. Game's over. Get the best player in the league. Uh, done. Done. This game's over. So basically, the referee decided the game. And it's something that's been going on all year to where if, if there's a swipe, you swipe at the ball. You can swipe at the ball. You can swipe at somebody's leg. You can just swipe at them. You can be ejected. And it's it's just the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I, 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 I really don't know what the point of this is. 
as that uh, harm, intent. And, and this is my point, too. How many guys have been hit and, and then been out of the game this year? It, it's, it's, it's like guys are taking the bait. So guys now, when they, they get bumped, they go down. They stay down. It's, this, is, this is, you know, we're talking about floppy. This is ridiculous. This has got to change right now to where you, there, there must be a clear intent, at least an intent, of, of, of hitting somebody. And, and, and an intent, let's say, you know, it is, and it's funny, and, you know, you know that I always hate to compare, uh, you know, the old days where, you know, we used to be able to uh, have an altercation and then we'd go back and play. And that happened. Um, years ago, you used to be able to, guys would fight and then break it up and we'd play. Right, 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 right. No. But, but, I, but I'm just talking about now where the intent, intent, where you swing at the ball and you can be ejected from the game. It's preposterous. Okay, so that that was a ridiculous call. There's no question about it. But here's where I get I upset get about. I, I here's right. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're going to probably lose the game, lose the series anyway. I get that, but that's neither here nor there. You base everything on what actually happened, like you said. I mean, in like Michael Malone said later, he says, "Hey, he just you know he he wasn't going after the guy to to, to kill the guy to start a fight with the guy or anything. He was there was a frustration foul." Plain and simple. That's all it was. And we've seen him do it before. Again, in, in not, not ill will at all. But here's the problem that I have. There is so much inconsistency and there's so much subjectivity here. I mean, on, on what is a flagrant one? What's a flagrant two? What are we going to go to the monitor for? And that was no case in point for any of it. Like you said, we should compare it to back in the day or whatever when there would be fisticuffs and then you, you tee every guy up and then you continue to play. Or maybe, you know, you, if it was that flagrant, you know, prior to the quote-unquote flagrant fouls, and then the flagrant one, flagrant two, okay, you would have those ejections. But if there were ejections, as you know better than anybody, I mean, it was it was for legitimate fighting, and someone was really going to be hurt or someone to be in trouble. Later in that same game, we see a guy breaking away for a layup, and he gets bear-hugged. He gets grabbed from behind. There is no play on the ball. What's the intent there? The intent is I'm not going to let you score, and you could hurt a guy a heck of a lot more doing that than you could at slapping the ball. And that's what I don't get. No flagrant foul, just a common foul on that. The inconsistency is preposterous. These officials are preposterous. The, the game is becoming a joke, and then you add on the flopping on top of that, the embellishment that we see like you know, in soccer that we're used to. Yeah, the league is getting a bad rep, but there is just no consistency. I just don't like the idea of the officials dictating the game. By, by something that is, is not intentional. And look, it's, it's just what we talked about. You know clearly if somebody is going after somebody, if somebody is trying to injure somebody, I don't need a replay for that. It's right in front of me. So um, I, I, I just don't get the point because it's getting worse because guys are, are, are falling. Every single possession is 
and, and, and for anything, they're, they're falling down, and clearly on the replay, uh, you know, nobody's even touching their head, but they're holding their head. They're, they're, they're holding their eyes. They're holding their chin like they've been a kid, like they've been shocked. And it's, and it's just this part of the game that, you know, the guys are thinking, hey, look, you know, why, you know if we can get away with it, why not continue to do it? They'll, they'll continue to do it. Get on the free throw line and get guys out of the game. And why not? It's just it's just something this league has got to clean up because it's it's just it's a bad precedent that the officials are are dictating who's who's going to win this basketball game. A flagrant, a flagrant. Look, basketball, you've got to have a certain amount of contact on the floor. You know, if you've got a guy. At, you get a guy at 25 feet, he is driving at the basket full speed. Somebody has got to greet them at the basket. There is going to be some contact that the league has got to allow the players has to happen because these guys are too good. So they're going to have to change this rule that there's going to have to be a certain amount of contact allowed on the on the court to where they can make a play on the ball, they can make a play to protect themselves, they're not gonna get hurt and and just play basketball. That's how basketball is meant to be. This is not a this is a contact sport. All right, so here so, is Michael Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, giving his thoughts about not only the call, but the way this series ended. Uh I don't know. I think it was something along the lines of wind up malicious intent some other mumbo jumbo but obviously uh you know you lose the mvp uh, it's going to make it even harder to try to stave off elimination um the guys that were still in the game the last three the third and the fourth quarter tremendous effort tremendous fight uh, which was uh great to see and we hung around you know overall very disappointing uh to end the series um, getting swept at home. Well, I still haven't processed it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, you know, game four, an elimination game at home. Um, before they had determined their, their decision on the flagrant two, I had watched a replay myself on one of the coaches' computers behind the bench. Um, and, and I just assumed, and we all know you should never assume, uh, but I assumed it would be a, a flagrant one at the worst. Um, from my vantage point and watching the replay, I did not think uh, it was a non-basketball play with malicious intent. I think it was a frustration foul. I feel Nicola probably felt the last couple of plays when he had the ball, he had not received a foul call. And, you know, he went over there to, to take a foul, which he's done plenty of times before. A lot of players do that. And I just didn't feel like uh, it would warrant a flagrant two ejection because he's making a play on the ball. There's marginal contact to Cameron Payne's nose, I believe. Uh, so I was shocked. I'm still a little bit shocked that they called the flagrant two and ejected the MVP on such a play. Um, I think Mike Singer said that they, a pool reporter may have asked one of the officials. So I'd love to hear what the reply was from those, uh, from one of the referees, because uh, I'm still trying to figure out uh, the reasoning behind the ejection. 
All right, Michael Malone, very distraught after the Nuggets get eliminated last night. Uh, Bill, when you hear Michael Malone's comments, your thoughts? Well, he's confused, like, like, just like all of us, to where this guy is not, there's no intent to injure this guy. The intent was just to, to hit the ball, which he did. And But look, this has been going on all year. And you've seen it. You've seen guys go down all year. Uh, they're 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 holding they're holding everything they're holding their um, uh, head they're they're holding their chest like they've been shot and it's and it's just ridiculous that it's it's just going to continue if they cannot strain this out because like I said these guys you you can't make a play at the rim if these guys are going to match you might as well let them go that's why there's so many layups going on where these guys are running in their full speed. And if any contact happens at all, if you fall at all during the course of the game, there is a great opportunity to get a flagrant foul. And that mindset just has to change to where, to where it's, it's just a normal play, to where there's, uh, there's just physical basketball, and there's going to be points in time when, when, it, when it happens. Not, uh, um, you know, you, you, there's, there's just no intent to really to injure anybody. So I don't get it. Uh, nobody else gets it. Uh, this is something that's just, just going to have to change. You know, Bill, one thing that I found interesting when you talked about when they go to the replay in that, and I know that they look at the replay because they want to get the big picture and see how everything's done, but a lot of times replay, especially when you slow it down, it makes things look even worse than they really were. Look at a hit in football or a punch in a boxing match or a hit in hockey or something. The replay makes it look like it was assault with trying to kill somebody or something in slow motion in that. When in top speed, you're seeing it's like, like you mentioned. You're just making a regular basketball play or something like that. Sometimes I think the replay makes it look worse than it was, and I think the officials see that and they go, oh, my God, what was this guy doing when it wasn't actually anywhere? We're near that bad when you see it in real time. Uh, well, let's well let's say that does happen. Let's say you accidentally uh, you have your back turned to somebody and you accidentally turn and you hit somebody. That is not a flagrant, or at least not a flagrant two to get the guy out of the game because you could really belt somebody accidentally. It's got to be what is your intent? What was their intent in this play? Was there intent to injure somebody? Because, like I said, it's a physical game. There's going to be situations, and we, we saw it all year in college basketball, where guys accidentally got hit, and it's, it, all of a sudden it's, it's a flagrant. And guys go, oh, that could be a flagrant too. Well, it could be, but, it, but the intent of it was no. They were, they were not trying to hit anybody, but they did. Look, basketball is a physical game, or it can be at times. We don't want it to be. Nobody, nobody's looking to injure somebody, but it's going to happen because, for one thing, these guys are are great athletes, they're great players, are really hard to guard. There's going to be contact that happens, and what is the intent of that contact? Is it to injure, or is it to make a play on the ball? So if it's a play on the ball, it is what it is. You just you play on, it's a foul, and move on from there. Clearly, what happened yesterday could never happen again. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Make it a play on the ball. Really? It's out of the game. 
So, give me when you were playing on a, a really rough foul. What do you think is what were the percentages of in you know something that was really caused with intent versus just happened you know by accident because of physical nature of play? Give me a percentage. Well, it, it's really, the, the the percentage of something happening had to be somebody hitting somebody in the head, and it was and it would probably be have to be with with a fist, so maybe a ten percent chance that you're going to be ejected from the game. Okay, but what about elbows flying? Okay, so I understand you're going for a rebound, you're t- tussling inside, and there's just going to be physical nature. But there are a lot of times when say. Say, let's take away a punch. Say it's not a punch, but there's something else where you're gonna you're gonna rib some guy in in, in the ribs, you know, with an elbow. I mean, your your intent is like, okay, this guy is, is pissed me off, you know, during the last couple trips down or whatever it is, you know. I'm just saying, fifty fifty. Just is it ten or twenty percent that that hey, I'm 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 gonna give this guy a, a legitimate jab here, and hopefully I don't get caught. Well, look, guys, guys don't do that unless there's something malicious in there to where somebody intentionally elbows somebody. It would probably be more of a thing of that somebody got hit, you know, accidentally, and then somebody's trying to get something back. Now, that happens all the time. Right. I've happened with you before. But I'm, I'm just saying that um, if that happens and guys get guy gets accidentally hit by an elbow, that could be a foul. That can't be a flagrant. There's no intent in there. Now, if there's an intentional guy's throwing an elbow intentionally, uh, you don't know it. It's not. It's not tricky. It's not a tricky sport. You know if something's going on. Everybody knows. The commentators know what's going on. The fans know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. If there's been something going on and a guy gets elbowed, okay, now we got something. But clearly. Um, that's not going to happen. And look, most guys are not those kind of guys anyway. Most guys aren't guys that are going to going to go up and try to blow somebody up for no reason. So um, it's just it's just ridiculous. All right, man. Yeah, good, great <laughs> great just, thoughts. Just, that's great stuff. That's true. All right, uh, all right, my man. Uh, appreciate the time, man. We'll get you back and uh, we'll start breaking down some of these other playoff series. But we know the Phoenix Suns, they're playing some very good basketball right now, and they're going to have to face the winner between Utah and the Clippers. Looking forward to that, and that series will continue tonight. All right, man, go eat well. Uh, glad you're back here on the, the left coast uh, with us. Uh, you know, I know you had a great trip to Chicago, but uh, we'll talk with you very soon. All right, guys, enjoy it. There it is. All right, the big seven-footer, big Bill Cartwright. And again, uh, just a, a crazy situation, and we seem to go through this type of stuff in the postseason all the time. What's a foul? What's not a foul? What's a flagrant? What's ejectable? What's not? And last night was definitely ridiculous. Well, let's be honest about it, too. When the face of your league in LeBron James is one of the worst offenders, Correct. that every time he even thinks that somebody came close to him, he's flopping around like somebody shot him from the stands or something, then other guys are going to do it as well. Yeah. All right, we come back. Sam Gordon is going to join us. Talk a little more NBA with him, Las Vegas Aces, and boxing. We were at the fights on Saturday night. Shakur Stevenson's dominating performance. We'll uh, touch on that as well, too, and get you ready for Golden Knights Canadians game number one Stanley Cup semifinals tonight at the Fortress. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on this Monday.